The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. We have been talking for the last few weeks about apathy, which basically in Greek can be translated as party. Right? I mean, apathy is a great thing to invite your friends to. Yeah, we're talking about apathy again. Uh, but this is, this is the last Sunday that we're talking about apathy. What we've been saying with regard to apathy is that it's basically uh, saying I don't care. It's coming to the point in life or in some area of our lives where we just say, I just don't care anymore. I don't care about church. I don't care about God. I don't care about my marriage. I don't care about my, myself. I don't care about others. I'm just struggling in, the, in that place. Last week we talked about the fact that apathy can come out of a living life too safe that we're just too guarded, we're not interested in something new, and we're just kind of going through the motion, staying safe, staying safe. And uh, if you weren't here last week in this celebration, uh, something interesting happened because uh, there was a, a woman with her young boy uh, who got up and uh, left to go to the restroom, I assume. And while she was gone, I made you all switch places. So everybody on this side sat over here and everybody over here uh, sat over here. And uh, then she came back and the poor thing was standing around here and with her little boy just walking around, not sure what to do because she couldn't find her family. And, uh, and then you all pointed and laughed. You realize that you did that? You just ah, pointed and laughed at this poor sweet lady. And then, and then uh, and I thought about it Sunday afternoon. I thought, you know, the real culprit, though, was her husband. I mean, he led her out to dry. Uh, didn't help her out at all. He kind of slunk in his seat over here now. just kind of. Uh, and so if, if you're here, I hope you come back. Uh, I hope so, but if you are here, please accept uh, uh, our apologies as a church and on behalf of your husband uh, <laughs> so that we're all good. Because uh, this is a safe place to visit and a dangerous place to stay, but that's, that's not what we mean by that um, there. Okay, so today uh, we are uh, finishing up, as I said, finishing up the, the stage of apathy. For those of you who've been with us, uh, you'll know that this year we're calling 2012 the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, spending the whole year talking about what it means to have a, r- a real relationship with Jesus. And if it's a real relationship, can we compare that to human relationships that go through stages? So we're going through stages throughout the year. And, and uh, the stage we have been in is the reality of apathy, that many of us in our personal relationships and our marriage and our relationship with Jesus can get to a place of apathy where we just kind of drift from caring. And so today we're going to wrap it up with hope, looking at the fact that apathy is reversible Apathy is reversible. We can pull out of this. I mean, think about other areas of your life where you pull out of apathy. When you're experiencing apathy and you're just coasting, what do you do or what have you done to pull out of that? What have been apathy busters in your journey? For some of you, it might be thrill-seeking. And you want to do whatever you can to get the blood pumping, uh, that you want to do something that, w- that you are risking your life on, and then that kind of generates this excitement. And if you don't have to wear a helmet, then why play it kind of thing? Uh, just kind of stirring up this, this thrill-seeking excitement. And sometimes we can actually go after thrill-seeking in ways that are uh, not uh, moral or ways that are not legal out of the sense that that there's this thrill that we might get caught 
And maybe this is more of a journey that, that we had when we were younger, but sometimes we participate in things. We may uh, uh, experiment with, with uh, illegal substances or we may, in our, in our marriage relationship, we may kind of check out some other relationships outside of our marriage relationship because there's excitement there that's connected to the reality that we might get caught. And I think there are times where deep down inside we maybe even want to get caught because we're so desperate to change from the apathy that we're experiencing. That, that we want so desperately to experience life and uh, uh, we want it, that we want to kind of do what we want even if we have to suffer the consequences and, and, and deal with all that, how, what that might look like, that that's better than drifting into apathy. Another possible apathy buster is self-medication that we may start to believe about ourselves that we can't get out of apathy, but at least for a time period, at least for an hour or a moment or a day, we can trick our brain into thinking that we've pulled out of that. Another possible apathy buster is, is an obsession, that we can't get out of it in this area, so we become obsessed with something else. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you are obsessed with. Why is that thing so important to you right now. Maybe it's a, a car. Maybe it is an item that you're trying to track and, and get online. Maybe it's a room in your house, a hobby or a game or working out or some kind of sport or athletics. And if, if it's something that has shifted into an obsession, you might not see it that way, but those who know you and love you might be seeing it that way. If that's the case, why is that happening? What's going on there? Of course, those are things that are, that are not wrong and, 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 and illegal, but they just might start to take over areas that they're not supposed to take over. In fact, an obsession could even be about something very good. You could be obsessed about volunteering or about a serving here at Mountain Park or doing things to help others, and you become obsessed with that. It's pretty hard to challenge that if somebody says, how can you challenge me for loving others in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, in a passionate way. Well, the reality, the tragic reality is that there, there are some in, uh, in my profession, there's so many in my profession who get so obsessed with the calling, with what God's called us to do, that our marriages could fall apart. We could be obsessed about something that is good, that is great, and so if and when that happens, what's going on? Why is that creeping in for us? Why has that come to such a place of elevation? What's going on? I want to take a look at a few verses in John chapter 5. John is the fourth gospel, fourth book in the New Testament, which begins Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first four books of the New Testament are the, are the four different versions of the story of Jesus. So we're looking at a few verses in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 39. John 5, 39, Jesus says, You diligently study the Scriptures. Well, that's obviously a good thing, right? How can you challenge somebody for diligently studying the Scriptures? Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We want life. We want, as John says later in his book, a life that is abundant. 
We so want to get out of these areas of apathy in our, in our lives and we will do a number of different things. We'll try a number of different things to pull out of that. Jesus says even studying scripture, which is a great thing to do, even that in and of itself does not lead to life. It's all about Jesus. That even studying scripture, is not, that's not the end game. That is an, a, a, a means to an end of drawing closer to Jesus. And there's so many things that we go after and say, this is gonna help me, this is gonna pull me out. Instead of, as Jesus says here, and re, we refuse to come to him to have life. So how important is Jesus in your apathy-busting journey? How, how, how important is it for you, we've been talking about Jesus all year, how important is it for you to have a vital relationship with Jesus? Where does that stand with you? How much do you care about that? I've been saying that apathy is basically saying, I don't care. And so it would make sense that the reverse of apathy then is to say, I do care. I'm choosing to care about this thing in particular. So what do you care about? I'm not saying what do you do for a living, what others may say that you're good at. I'm saying what do you care about? What really matters to you? What drives you? Uh, if you filtered it all down, kind of funneled it all down, what do you really care about? Is it, is it fame? I want to be known by people that I went to high school with. Uh, success, is it wealth? Is it more... Uh, uh, kind of pleasurable things like adventure and joy and security? Do you really care about truth and everything is about, I just, I need to understand truth and I want to project truth? Do you really care about lost people? And that really drives who you are and what you do. What do you really care about? Maybe there's some who you're not sure what you care about. Maybe you don't know what you care about. The way to find out is to look at what you're doing with your life. I mean, um, what are you doing with your time and your money? It's been said that you can just look at your checkbook, look at, look at your online uh, checking system, and you can see where your money's going. That's what you're doing. That's what you care about. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So wherever you put that, that's what you really care about. Just look at your life, and you'll learn a lot about what you care about. Look at your life. Look at the things that... Make you lean forward and say, okay, I'm, I'm all in for this situation. That one there, I, I could step back. I could let somebody else take care of that or whatever. But this one here, I've got to be involved. I care about this. When do you lean in? When do you lean back? That'll enlighten you a little bit in terms of what you care about. A couple weeks ago, I took my kids to a park. We were playing at the park, and there was a pigeon that had a broken wing that was flopping around near us. <laughs> And we had our dog with us, and the dog was swatting at it a little bit. And, uh, and I, just got, I just know, I mean, before I even saw the pigeon, I don't care about pigeons. I mean, I just know that about myself. I don't care about pigeons. What I do care about is my seven-year-old daughter, who had a tear coming down her, her face, and was saying, Daddy, can we take her home? Because it's obviously a her. <laughs> can we take her home and, and nurse her back to health? so that her wing gets better? Oh, no. <laughs> See, we have, we have conflicting cares going on there in that moment. 
because I am not going to take this bird home and tape a popsicle stick to its wing so that it can dive bomb me again and go to the pet store and get worms to feed the little thing so keep the thing going. We have conflicting cares going on here. So I reached down and I picked up the pigeon. Oh, nice little pigeon. And I turned around. No, I didn't do that. I didn't. I didn't do that. That'd be ridiculous. So uh, I'm sorry. Look what happened. I'm sorry. I didn't do that. I took the pigeon and, uh, and, and carried the pigeon with my daughter all the way to the far corner of the park. And I said, we're going to put the pigeon safely under this bush so that the predators can't get to it and it can heal all on its own. <laughs> and she bought that. And so, uh, so then we walked away. I said, come on, quickly, quickly, before somebody gets them. You know, let's go, let's go quickly. And so, see, just conflicting cares. You learn a lot in how you respond to situations. It tells you what you care about. I was with that same daughter this week, dropping her off for school. And right where I dropped my daughter off, there's this area on the corner that has all sorts of signs that say no stopping. You're not supposed to drop your kids off in this particular area. And there's another place where you're supposed to drop your kids off. So all of us in the neighborhood, we know that, yeah, there's certain people who come in and they disobey those signs there. I try to stay out of it. I care, but I try to stay out of it. So this... Just this week, I dropped my daughter off, and uh, while I was finishing that up, there was a sweet lady who worked at the uh, elementary school, had the little orange vest, and she went over, and she was telling him, informing him, saying, yeah, this is not a place where you can drop your kid off. And I could hear from behind me that he's starting to, to yell at her and give his opinion about what's going on because he's frustrated. Well, then it shifted from, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Okay, I care. I care now. And so I went in and I leaned down and looked in the, the passenger window. I said, are you giving her a hard time? And then, uh, and then he said, hey, it's none of your business. You just keep on moving. Just keep moving. He's like Biff from uh, <laughs> Back to the Future. Poof, poof, you know. And so, and so, I mean, he wasn't hitting her. I wasn't, he wasn't hitting her. But, but it's just, I mean, that's what bullies do. And so then... I was compelled to get into a conversation uh, with him that some may consider not a Christian conversation <laughs> that I was having with this guy. And, uh, and at one point, he, he talked about, I'm going to talk to the principal over there. And, and we, uh, we ended up, you know, there's nothing I can do. So I ended up walking away. And I was, uh, but I thought about it after I was about a half block down. I wish I had said, hey, the principal idea is really good because she has these parking passes that if she gives them to you, you can drop your kid off anywhere. Just show the pass, and it's taken care of. Now, she might say she doesn't have them, but if you're persistent, you can get one from her. <laughs> the things we wish we had said. Now, the only problem with that is it would have been a lie, but other than that, again, balancing the cares, balancing the values. Um, life is hard. So, but what we can do is we can look at how we respond to situations to go, okay, I care about that. Obviously, by my response, I care about that. I don't care about that. So the question again is, what do you truly care about in life? And does your life reflect what you say you care about? Does your life represent what you say you care about? Now, I'm not telling you what to care about. I'm not saying care about this, don't care about this. I'm not saying that at all. Maybe that's a message for another time. Right now, what you do care about, does your life reflect that? If you care about a relationship with Jesus, if that's an important thing, the whole God, 
Christian thing, if that's important to you, does your life reflect the fact that you really do care about that right now? Not four years ago when that wonderful thing happened, but right now. I want to look at a few verses in the book of Revelation to help us with uh, some words of Jesus that help us to be apathy busters in terms of our relationship with him. Revelation is the second easiest book in the Bible to find. And it's at the end, okay? There's the one at the beginning and the one at the end. So Revelation is a dream, it's a vision that one of Jesus' disciples received. His name is John. It's the same disciple, John, that, who wrote the book of John, where we, where we just read from John chapter 5. It's that same guy. And Jesus gives him a vision, a revelation, that begins with seven unique messages to seven different churches. And Jesus is giving an encouragement and a challenge to each of these seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And I find it very interesting that three of the seven churches are struggling primarily with apathy. Three of, for three of the seven churches, the issue is apathy. So we're jumping into the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. It's the first of the seven churches that Jesus addresses. Verse 4, Jesus says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. There is a consequence to us drifting so far from our first love and, and just remaining in apathy. There's a consequence to that. And there's something powerful about the first love. This week, I'm, I'm marrying, so this Saturday, I'm marrying a young couple as part of our church. And I'm really excited about it. They're a great young couple. They are getting a free wedding at a hotel here in the city because they won a contest. They participated in a contest where they had to submit a video to show how much they love one another. And then the videos were voted on, and they were the winner of the whole contest. In their video, he says that on their first date, they watched The Notebook together. Oh. And in the video, she describes in detail that they've been dating for a long time, and every day, she says, every day, he gives her a note to remind her that he loves her. And it shows up in different ways, and gives her a note every day. And so the women, they watch this little thing, and they go, that's so special. And then they click, vote, 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 vote. And the guys watch it and go, come on, man. Why you got to make it so hard for us? Lower the bar, please. That's a little too high. Let's make it reasonable, please. But there's something powerful and, and uh, um, just incredible about the whole first love experience. A couple weeks ago, I, I talked about apathy that can sneak into marriage and that as much as you're, you may be struggling right now, there was a time where you liked each other. 
There, there was, you can't, can't get away from that. There was a time. Is there any way to go back and capture some of that, to be reminded, this is why I fell in love with you. This is why we got married. I know we're struggling now, but may I try to recapture the first love piece? If you've been a follower of Christ for a long time and you found yourself drifting, drifting into apathy, can you remember a time maybe in college or in high school, or at a camp, or at some experience, some small group, can you remember a time when you first felt and understood and embraced the love and the forgiveness and the sacrifice of Jesus? Can you think of a time when that moved you deeply? If so, Jesus says, go back to that first love. That can rekindle some of the fire in that relationship. And then Jesus says, do the things that you did then. If you're really struggling, go back to that and try to rekindle that. The fifth church that Jesus addresses is a church in Sardis. And he talks about it at the beginning of chapter three. And this is the second church that's struggling with apathy. Chapter three Verse one says to the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. You have a reputation of being alive. We're all pretty interested in our reputation. Most of us are, and that's a good thing. We want to have a good reputation. We want to uphold our reputation. But sometimes we can say that we care about things to build up or develop our reputation that aren't a good representation of where we really are. In other words, what we say we care about is nowhere near as powerful as what our actions indicate that we care about. So... uh, We can say that we care about a whole lot of things, but what really speaks into that is how we live our lives, how uh, our lives reflect what we say we care about. So you can't say that you care about the environment and then dump half full gallons of paint in the garbage and then uh, uh, roll down the window in your car and dump out your McDonald's garbage because, well, the wind will take care of that. I don't know where it goes, but eventually it'll get out of the city. We can't say that we care about our family, but then do all that we can to avoid them. We can't say that we care about musical quality and listen to Kiss. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be honest here. Either we're not honest about what we care about. In other words, we're more interested in the reputation and we want to present ourselves as a certain way. We're not honest about what we care about. Or... Our actions, what we do with our life, are not reflecting what we care about very well. If those, if those two things are, are not congruent. What, what would others say about your journey? Would others say that you, um, that you are dead or that you are alive? As they watch your life, as they watch your relationships, as they 
uh, engage with you in terms of your spirituality? What would others say about your relationships? Are they dead or are they alive? Sometimes apathy is obvious, like a, like a teenager at the dinner table. I don't know, good, I don't know. Now there's a whole lot going on underneath with, with a teenager at the dinner table, a whole lot going on that's alive. I mean, that is major dynamic times of life. But maybe because of learning communication skills, it's, it's not coming out that way. Sometimes adults can be the opposite. We can have the reputation uh, of one of, of alive. Wow, we are just smoking. We are just doing amazing, great, 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 great things. But inside, we know we're dead. We can have the reputation of being alive, but we know on the inside, it's dying. It's sat in apathy for a long time. And Jesus says, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Maybe this is a hard time for you. Maybe this is a rough spot and your faith feels very small. Your hope feels very small. Jesus says, strengthen what remains. Hang on to whatever may still be there. If you, you're struggling, but you do believe in this. You can hang on to this one piece. Hang on to it tightly. Care about that. Hang on to it tightly. This is good news. Jesus says, wake up. If you're f- having this feeling of deadness or this feeling apathetic, it is reversible. We can wake up from it. Jesus tells this church, yeah, I, I understand where you are. Wake up. You can wake up from that. Do you have hope that you can wake up from that by the power of Jesus in your life? There's hope there. The seventh church that Jesus addresses is Laodicea. And it's, it's the third of these seven churches whose issue is apathy. And this may be the most known uh, section of Scripture in, uh, in the first part of Revelation. Jesus says to them in chapter 3, verse 15, he says to the church in Laodicea, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Again, it's this reputation of being alive. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. This is so common among church people. This is such an issue not so much 11 o'clock folks, really 9.30, they struggle. They, but just, just pray for them. They sometimes go to church and they reasonably groom their kids. Everything looks kind of nice. Okay, everybody good? Walk into the church. And then there may, they may be participating well in worship. Maybe a hand is up during worship. Maybe it's, maybe it's even really into it. It's both hands. It's a roller coaster. Woo! It's really into it. But then, none of that carries into the week. There's none of that that shows up during the week. Now, by no means am I saying, don't raise your hands in worship. I mean, that, that, is, that is an expression, it is an expression of surrender. That's what you do. Somebody says surrender, boom, hands go up. I'm surrendered. It's, it's an expression that says, God, even right now here in this moment, I surrender to you. I'm not saying don't do this. I'm just saying, 
Let it be consistent with what your life is reflecting the rest of the week. Carry some of that passion into your experience with Jesus midweek somehow in some way with what you listen to and your conversations and how you spend your time and your money. Does that pour into the rest of the week? There's such a tendency for us to want to stay in the middle, stay on the fence and kind of have our cake and eat it too a little bit. And balance this out so that we want to make sure we have clarity on what we need in order to spend eternity with God in heaven. And I want to make sure, what's the baseline? What do I need to do in order to make that happen? I'm interested. So the question is, perhaps, can I continue to live with my girlfriend and be a Christian? Just shoot, me, shoot straight. Shoot straight. Can I, can I do that? Can I get a divorce? I'm the person that I'm, I'm struggling with right now. And I know circumstances are unique and it is hard and it is so rough. And, and, and they're, they're, so, but can I, in my situation, can I move forward with that and still be a follower of Christ? Can, can, I, can I do that? I have a, a struggle with gossiping. And so uh, if, I, if I only do the really good stuff and not the medium stuff or the kind of the simple, small gossip stuff, if I only do the stuff I really, really, really want to do, is that enough if I kind of trim it down to only 25%? Is that good enough? Jesus says to those who follow him, says in Scripture to those who were following him, to those who were the 12, and then therefore to those of us who want to be one of the 12 and want to be his followers, Jesus says, do what I have commanded you. Do it. And to my knowledge, there's no evidence in the verses that follow that Jesus says, but if it's too hard, then don't worry about it. Just make sure that you've checked off the box of being a Christian. He doesn't say that. Don't pretend you really care about Jesus and have a life that doesn't reflect that. Now, I'm not talking to those of you who are searching here. For those of you who are new, this is your first time, you're checking things out, uh, you can stay on the fence. Stay on the fence for a little while, sit on the fence and just watch the rodeo and see what's going on. Kind of check it out, stay there for a while. I'm talking about those of you who have uh, been around the church for a long time, who've been here for a long time, and you've been on the fence for a long time. What I'm saying is get off the fence. Jump off the fence. I know it's a dangerous jump. I know it is. But personally, I would rather say I really do care about my relationship with Jesus and then deal with the consequences of what that might mean in areas where I don't want Jesus to have access. I'd rather go through that dangerous journey than, as is written in chapter 3 of Revelation, than be spit out of his mouth. I'd rather deal with what Jesus has for me, even the hard stuff, even the hard challenges, than be spit out of his mouth. So let me ask you again. Does your life reflect what you say you care about? As I close here uh, today, I want to give you an opportunity to do something, to allow your life in some small way to reflect what you care about. In John chapter 5, it said that you can diligently study the scriptures. Uh, and it says that these scriptures, the point of the scriptures is to tell us about Jesus. That's why God's given us this incredible gift of his word. They are to direct us to the overall story of who Jesus is. And so what we're going to do, starting tomorrow, we are going to do a journey through the Bible together. 
starting tomorrow, going through the end of 2013. So it'll be a little over a year. We're going to do a Bible reading plan. It's going to be uh, available on our website, mountainpark.org. And we will, as the year goes on, we will have more and more ways to make that easy for you uh, with, your, uh, applica- uh, with different apps and the way you can connect with that, with what the reading plan is. It's an invitation for you to participate in it. Five days a week, about three chapters a day, very doable. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to commit to it. And what we're going to do on the website is have opportunities for us to comment and jump in and say, hey, I read it today, didn't understand a word. Hey, I read it today. That was the driest section. That was hard for me. Hey, I read it today. I loved it. Loved what X had to say about that. We're going to engage with it a little bit and do it together as a church. Let me just tell you, you are lucky people. You are so fortunate, and here's why. There'll be people who join us in 2013. Uh, Some people that you've been inviting, that you've been praying for, some people who move into the area, and they are going to say, oh, I love this Bible reading plan. I just wish that I was here on September 9th, 2012, so I could have started from the very beginning instead of kind of jumping in halfway through. But you guys get to jump in now. You're so blessed. You're so blessed. Take advantage of the opportunity. I mean, it's just it's not an arm-twisting thing. If you already have a plan, you already have a, a way that you engage and you read Scripture and you're doing it with some friends and all that, great. I'm not trying to add to the list of all the things you're trying to do. I'm talking to those of you who say, I really do care about Jesus. I'm not sure what to do about it. I'm not sure how to, how to allow my life in some way to really reflect that. This is an opportunity for you. I just want to invite you to join with me on a Bible reading plan and see what happens through 2013? Does your life reflect what you say you care about? What we're going to do now is, uh, is close with giving you an opportunity to respond to God. The band is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And there's a number of different, what we call stations throughout the room where you can have the opportunity to participate in different ways. If you're new with us, they are listed in the program. You can get information there. If that doesn't help you enough, you can talk to the person next to you. Um, uh, and just, we'll call, just kind of figure this out as we go along. Or you can just stay where you are, think, observe, pray. But I just ask that this would be an apathy-free moment. That you would take the next eight minutes or so And just fully engage with God to say, God, help me understand what I really care about and how can you help me to have a life that reflects that? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you've made us unique. There's seven different churches and they each had seven different issues going on. And you know what each struggle and desire is here in this room. You understand that and you are so wonderfully available to meet us in those places. So I pray for any here in this room who want apathy to be reversed. God, whether it's an earthly relationship or their relationship with you, would you come here in this moment and give clarity as to how that apathy can be reversed by the power of, of focusing on our relationship with you. Come meet us in these next few moments, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.